I absolutely love spending time with people who aren't Christians. I love it. And there's a characteristic that I have found with many people who aren't Christians. They are starving for joy, but don't know it. Now, I know some of you aren't Christians, and you're thinking, come on, man. Like, how do you know me? And two things. So first, I'm going to press into Christians much harder than I just pressed into you. And second, I might know you better than you think, because it does seem that the Bible knows us all pretty well. And the hand of God has knit you together in your mother's womb. So perhaps there's something to this. And so if you aren't a Christian, let me tell you something that might happen to you that I see happens pretty often. Once you get past all the ways that Christians have just messed up, and once you get past all the ways that Christianity has been misrepresented, and you get to the core of it, what you might find there is a joy that makes you realize you have been settling for far lesser joys than you are made for. And if you have been a Christian for a while, there's something that likely has happened to you pretty often. You have gone through this period where you don't have joy in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your living. And so whose fault is that? I mean, why? And the Bible seems to be saying that it's our fault if we don't have that joy. In high school, I lived on this beautiful spot on the river. And every morning I would wake up and I'd be able to see the sunrise. And it was amazing. Only over time, it kind of began to grow dull to me. Uh, I, I began to not notice it as much. I'd wake up and I'd be late for school. And so I'd rush around passing by this great view. And then I became so enamored with my own life in the world that I was trying to build that I missed the view completely. And then I went away to college. And then when I came back, I saw the sunrise in the morning and I thought, wow, I used to live here. This is amazing. I stopped seeing it. The view never changed. I only failed to notice it. And the same thing happens with God. We fail to notice his beauty. We fail to notice how wonderful he is. His beauty in creation is all around us. And not only are we missing the beauty of his creation, but we're meant to look at the beauty of his creation and look right beyond it, what it's pointing to, to God. And not only are we missing the wonder of what's in his word, who he is and what he's done for us, we're missing it, but we're growing dull to it. We've become numb to it. And what we need is fresh eyes to see it all anew. We need to look at it again. And the Bible knows that we keep doing this, so it gives us a command. An invitation, but a command as well. And the command is to praise God. And the command forces you to do something. It forces you to realize that you don't actually want to praise God. And that your heart isn't really fully bent towards him. And what it's doing, it's such an important command because it's forcing you to take a spiritual inventory. It's forcing you to check yourself and see your spiritual health. And then you notice, well, I don't really want to praise God. And then so now you've got some work to do to figure out what's going on. And the reason you're not praising God is because 
you're not finding joy in him. Because the command to praise him is an invitation for you to pass by every single joy that is lesser than him until you finally arrive at him and say, I'm here and I've got nothing left to do but to praise him. All right, we are coming to a close in this series. Playlist, The Road Home. We have reached the last song. So we've been writing songs through this series, which has been an... I mean, can, can you just, like, for our creative team, just give them, like, a little... Like, 15 songs. Like, that's a, that's a crazy thing to be able to do. So we have been journeying through these psalms called the Psalms of Ascents. The technical word for ascents is pilgrimage. So Psalm 120 to 134 are songs that God's people would sing three times a year as they took a pilgrimage from wherever their home is to the city of God, Jerusalem, and then they would travel up to Mount Zion, which is also called the Mount of Joy. And they took the pilgrimage. And today we we see the end of the pilgrimage, the last song. And what we're finding here is the end goal of the pilgrimage. The end for which you were created. The goal, the telos of your life. And it ends with this psalm that is finally, because it's, it's crazy. So if you read through all the psalms, you're going to hear over and over again, praise God, praise God, praise God. But through these psalms of ascent, we have not heard it really until the last psalm. And it's making a statement. And the statement is finally when you reach the top of the mountain, you're finally doing the thing you were made to do which is worship. And if you will be honest, I don't think you open up the door for your day and think, all right, the thing I'm looking for is the thing that I think is worthy of my worship. But what the Bible wants to convince you of is that as soon as your door opens to start the day, as soon as, in fact, your eyes open to start the day, there's something in your soul that craves something worthy to worship. And you search it everywhere you go. When you're going to work, when you're driving in your car, all the things that you're doing, you're in search, whether you know it or not. So, let's find out today why the end which you were created for is worship. Psalm 134, a song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Bless, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. All right, our first question. Why should you praise God? Our psalm starts out and it says, come and it says, bless the Lord. Now, you're probably used to hearing this word blessing as something that you receive from God, but here it's telling you to bless Him. What does that mean? It means anytime you see it say, bless God, bless the Lord, it's telling you to praise Him. And so you think about it like this. When it says, bless God, it is you acknowledging who He already is what he already is. But when you receive a blessing, you are acknowledging that there is something lacking about you, but God has now given something to you to make you become who you're made to become. So when you bless God, you acknowledge 
that he is complete, he's infinite in beauty, in value, in worth, and worthy of your worship. When you receive a blessing from God, you are coming to the acknowledgement or realization that God is not done with you. And he's working on you to make you become more beautiful. More worthy, though he's already called you worthy and beautiful. But he's changing you still to become the version of you you're meant to become. And the very first word in our psalm is come. Or other translations, behold. And it's an invitation to see how great God is so you will finally acknowledge his greatness. So you think of it a bit like a dare. And it's a dare that says, you see all these beauties that you keep getting held up at. Stop stopping there and keep going until you reach the joy you're searching for and it will be found in God and then you have no choice but to realize you're responding in praise of who he is. So the invitation or the challenge is to come and see. But why? So that you'll worship. And now you realize, well, I don't really want to worship him. So why should we worship him even when we don't want to? Or why should we take that challenge to worship him when we don't want to? And the answer because, is because you are made to worship him. It's the end for which you were created. And until you realize that, you will be searching the earth, settling for lesser beauties and lesser joys, and you will end up worshiping those things instead of him. So, why do you set out your door each day? To find something worthy of worship. Why do you set out your door each day? To find the greatest joy that the world will ever know. And then finally say, I found him. He is here. So, here, here, here's, here's what I'm telling you. Don't settle for a stale, expensive sandwich when just around the corner is an infinite meal, an infinite course, eternal meal that's being offered to you for free. Don't settle for a, for a moldy shack when just beyond is a mansion upon the ocean that you're made to live in forever. To not find God is to settle for the stale sandwich in the moldy shack. Because you're going to worship something. It's the end of your journey. So what kind of treasure will you have? And right now, it's offered to you. What kind of treasure do you have? Are you chasing after a great career that will cost you your family? It's, it's a stale sandwich. Are you chasing after a self-beauty that looks back at you in the mirror and makes you feel good? It's a stale sandwich because eventually you're going to get old, you're going to become wrinkly, and the beauty that you once knew of yourself will fade. Maybe you're chasing after this experience, traveling the world, searching for all the places all over the world, searching the beauties all over the world. It's a, it's a moldy shack. It's one thing to behold the beauty in all the world, but it's quite another thing to behold its creator. Stop settling. So why praise him? Because everything else is stale bread in a moldy shack compared to him who is the banquet and mansion and more. First point, why do you praise him? There's your answer. What's, what is praise? Second question. Praise is inner health 
made audible and visual for the world to see. The heights of inner health is you reaching the pentacle of joy and there responding with worship. And so when you think, because so, praise is the culmination of joy, and so what's happening when you see someone authentically praising God, they have found the great joy, and that great joy is bubbling up in them and welling up in them until it has no place else to go but out. And so you can see that when it's happening to someone, and you can hear it in the way that they're talking to you, in the way that they're authentically just living their life. And what the Bible is telling you is Christ has come, who's the ultimate joy, and he's united himself to you. And so that means, because you, if you're praising God, you would be scared that you're losing out on the joy, so you want to take it back. But if you're connected to the fount of living joy, who is Christ, then being united to him, you are constantly stirring up this joy within you. Or he is stirring it up, really. If you're praising something other than God in your life, you haven't reached the fullness of joy. You're settling. Are you praising the beauty of someone else or the beauty of a landscape? People and landscapes are meant to be enjoyed for what they are, and what they are are beautiful things that are meant to point you to the greater beauty that is God. When you hear music on Sunday morning, do you stop right there at the music and say, oh, this, this is beautiful? Or do you go beyond to what the music is pointing you to? Because your purpose, your purpose, your absolute purpose in life is to find the object that will give you the most joy. That's your job. Like Christianity, it's not a boring thing. You know what Christianity is trying to get you to do? Stop settling for lesser joys. The world thinks potentially that Christianity is trying to steal their joy away from them. And Christianity is saying, no, there's so much more. Stop settling. And you've got two choices in this search. You can be like David or like Solomon. So David made a decision of what he was going to do. He decided he would trust God and trust what the Bible says about God, that God truly is the great joy. Solomon, his son, he searched the earth for this great treasure. High and low, all over the place trying to find the wisdom of joy, where it's found. And he ruined himself, and he ruined his family, and he ruined a kingdom in doing it. And at the end, he says, it's God, actually. So you can, I mean, you can be like David or like Solomon. And there's probably a bit of both of you, but you're probably being a little bit too much like Solomon. And my recommendation would be to just simply be like David and trust God that he really is the great joy. When someone is praising God, they have passed by treasure after treasure after treasure and said, no, I'm not settling. I'm going to be stubborn. I want more. I want more. I want more until finally you arrive at God and you say, I'm here. I'm satisfied. I have found peace and rest. I am at the, I am at the still waters. I am at the green pastures. I have everything I want and need. Joy and rest. And that sounds amazing, Right? And you're not getting it. And you're not there. Why? How do you get there? Third question, how do you praise him? 
Well, the quick answer is you have to notice the view. But the view is a bit challenging to look at. And the reason it's challenging to look at is because it's in every single direction. When you are meant to, how do you praise God? You have to look at the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. You have to look at, I'm going to tell you real quick, and then we're going to dissect each one of them. So the first, you have to look at the past, meaning you have to look at creation and the cross and the resurrection. Those three things. The present, in the present, well, you simply obey him. And so in the present also, you're taking all the beauties that are all around you, and you're saying it's pointing to something more. Each beauty before you, each even sorrow before you, what's it pointing to? You ask that question in the present, and then the future, you look at the world that is to come, where all things are made right. And if you want to be the person, the type of person, who has found the joy you're seeking, you have to be masterful at looking at the past, present, and future of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. All at the same time. And in the likelihood, the reason you don't have joy is you might not be looking at any of them. And you might, you might have just stumbled upon looking upon one of them. And if you're, well, if you're blessed, you're looking at two. But if you are really blessed, you are beholding all three of the past, present, and future of God and what he's done. So let's take each of them. First, the past. The key here is, so you're not just looking at the past of the creation of God. And you're not just looking at, not the creation of God, but God's creation. You're not just looking at that, but you're also looking at how he's come into creation. But you're not just looking at that, you're looking at the cross and the resurrection, but not there. You can't stop there. You have to look at the cross and the resurrection and his creation and him being with you in light of your pilgrimage. Everything that you're going through, the joys and the sorrows of what you're going through. You have to look at it all at the same time. So Psalm 120 all the way up to 131, 132 is your pilgrimage. And that pilgrimage took you through trials. And it took you through pain. And it took you through difficulties. It took you to the cross of Christ, but also you're carrying your own cross. But the cross is not meant to be the end. The cross is meant to be something that you pass through to the resurrection. Pain is not the end of your story. It's something, though, you must walk through. Suffering is not the end of your story, but it's something you must walk through. Sorrow is not the end, but you must walk through it to the resurrection. And as you do that and you're looking at the cross and the resurrection, you also come to the realization that you have been completely, 100% forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future because of what he did in the past already for you. You are now 100% loved. And that love that God has for you cannot be taken or changed based off of anything you do or don't do. It's unconditional. Someone said to me the other day, yeah, but doesn't unconditional love make you live any way you want to live? Yeah, but it also changes the way you want to live. You see? And so, you take your journey back 
to the cross through what he's done for you, and it will produce a gratitude in you and a joy in you that will help you praise in unexpected places and in unexpected times. And in fact, when you find joy in those unexpected places, it is proof that you found the real thing. So that's the past. Now the present. This is about not settling for lesser beauties. It's about you taking everything in your life and saying, okay, this is here for me to use to find the beauty of God. All right, good, fine, take it at that. But I want to tell you something else that I think will even stir more more worship in you, and it's obedience to God. Here is why obedience to God produces joy in you. Because obedience produces beauty. Take Eden. You know, when you long for beauty, you're longing for Eden. So all of a sudden, Eden is lost. And then God has this mission of bringing Eden back, and, he, and at this point, he's doing it through the temple. So the temple is like an Eden in the wilderness. So when you take your homes and you're fighting to bring like the ways of God into your homes by obeying him, you're actually fighting to bring Eden into your home. When you're fighting for the ways of God to enter into the church, you're fighting for Eden to come into the church which means you're creating something beautiful. You're part of it. You're part of like this original calling that God gave you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, which means to take Eden and make it cover all the earth. You're part of that, which means you can enjoy the process of beauty coming and you can behold the beauty, which makes you even more so want to worship God. So that's your present. And now look at the future. Future is the hope that is to come. The end in the Bible, which is really a whole new beginning, an infinite beginning, is not you in heaven, but it is heaven come down to the earth as it always was meant to be. So you go and you come down with Christ and there the commission begins to build the beauty of heaven to cover all the earth. And we're partnering with God in that. And it's a place where there's no hurt, death, or pain. And there's an infinite ecstasy of joy. Unspeakable. You get good at looking at the past, present, and future of all that God is and all that he is doing. You will find yourself worshiping more throughout the day. Next question. When should you praise God? Always and everywhere. So in this psalm, we see the priests. This is, it talks about them doing this through the night. And what they're doing is they're singing praises to God through the night. They're, taking, you know, they're going through cycles. But the point is we're supposed to see a picture here of God is worthy of praise 24-7. Not just within the temple, but outside of the temple. Because in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 2.9, every Christian is now called a priest, a minister, In the world, Um, in Ephesians, it says that the church is here to equip the saints for ministry, for service out in the world, which means you are meant to praise God through your service 24-7. Where, though? How? How are you doing this? Where you live, work, and play. 24-7. 
So let, let's just take this one by one. So where you work, let's take where you work first. Your workplace is a place of worship, whether you want to realize it or not. In fact, there is a battle in your workplace over what is worshiped. Will it be the living God who created heaven and earth, or will it be the God of success? Will it be the God of selfish ambition, or will it be the God of selfless kingdom building? The God that's a kingdom builder. There's a way to do your job in worship and service to God. Now, partly, I, you have to figure that out. I mean, that's partly why you're here, is to, to learn the truths about God and then ask yourself, don't just come here and then just shut your mind off and shut your heart off after you leave. Engage your mind and heart and ask, how do I worship God in my workplace? And what you will find is that there is a battle over the worship of God or the worship of every god and goddess that of the earth that has somehow found its way into your workplace and is prowling around the halls and is whispering in the word the ears of those who are on their way to meetings in their offices and in their cubicles. There is a lot at stake in your workplace. Now let's take your interests, your hobbies, the things that you love to do. I know some of you have a lot of kids and they're all young and you're like, I have no time for myself. There's probably some things you're doing though. And how do, how do you worship God in those things that you're doing? Well, let's think about what you're doing when you go to these hobbies and interests. In a way, you're trying to find joy in them and you're also trying to find some rest by them. Maybe a little escape. Now, here it becomes the problem. As soon as you take the things that you love to do, and you enjoy them just for themselves, they will steal away your rest and your joy. Because those things that you love to do are meant to be used to take you through them to the greater joy. Whatever it is you love doing, however it is you spend your free time, that is meant to be something that takes you to God. Don't stop there, because if you stop there, what you're going to find is it's not actually giving you rest. It's not actually giving you joy because it becomes a God in your life and then it starts beginning to suck the joy and life out of you because anything other than God needs your joy to survive. God is the only giver of true joy. And then let's take where you live. Your house, your family, your neighborhood, with your friends. So you take Eden and you bring them into your home. You bring Eden into your home, into your neighborhood, into your family, with your friends. And let me tell you, probably one of the things that is needed most in order for Eden to come into this place where you live is forgiveness, reconciliation, and a deep love for people that is selfless, that is constantly asking, how can I bring myself low in order to lift you up? This is the stuff of Eden. And as you start building it, you're building a home that's reflecting, Eden, that's reflecting Eden more and more, and it begins to become beautiful and more enjoyable and more lovely. You know, I, I have this feeling like we get so... Um, so overwhelmed and so tired... That when we get home, we think, okay, I'm done like building anything. And that's potentially your most important time to be building. Because if you don't start building Eden in your homes, eventually you're going to build hell in your home. 
And so you look at your marriages, and you look at your families, and you look at your friends, and instead you just put the work in that's required, and you're like, oh, I'm so exhausted. Find your rest in Him. The reason you're exhausted is because you haven't gone to Him for joy, and everything in your life is stealing joy away from you, because you're not using those things to get to Him. You're trying to find rest in those things, and they never will give it to you. Okay, where else? It says the church. It says with lifted hands. Now, Sunday morning, your hands are lifted to God. Your hands are not lifted to how good or bad the sermon was. Your hands are not lifted to how good or bad the music is. Your hands are not lifted to how good or bad you were welcomed by your friends or the person you just met. Your hands are lifted to Him. The church's job, in one way, is to disappear. So all you can see is the beauty and glory and worth of God and God's people, which is like the invisible church, which is the kingdom. This is here to take you even to a greater place. It's the job of the church. It's the outpost of the kingdom of God. And the end result of you... Praising God and worshiping Him is then Him blessing you. This is our fifth point, the blessing. Now, we need to be careful here. Our verse says, May the Lord bless you from Zion, which Zion is the presence of God, this mountain where the temple is. Um, Now, here's how you might be reading this psalm. If I praise God and bless Him, then He will bless me. And you would be right, but also wrong. Because what you have to understand is there was a whole bunch of psalms in this series that were leading up to this event where you began to praise God. And all of those psalms were talking about how God is blessing you first. So here's the order. God blesses you. You see Him. You bless Him. And then He blesses you more. Okay, so, so here's how the journey goes. You start off in your home, and you're just, you just want more. And so you open up the door, and you set out. And as you set out, you realize that the only thing that's actually got you out of the door longing for more was his call upon your heart. He stirred something in you. In other words, he blessed you. And so you open the door, and you looked off at the distance at the greater Zion, the mount of joy, and you saw it, and you said, that's where I'm going. And it filled joy in you, because you're being blessed by even looking at the place where you're meant to go. And then you set out on the journey, and you have all these struggles and difficulties and pains and sorrows along the way. There's challenge. I mean, there's real challenges in your life. There's chaos that you're entering into. And as you're entering into it, he is blessing you to give you the strength to keep going through it. Otherwise, you never make it up the mountain. And then here's another thing that happens to you. As you are on this journey, you see things that distract you from him. And you start settling for lesser joys and lesser beauties. And he blesses you by making you so dissatisfied with those things. Like, you're just angry, you're dissatisfied, you're feeling sorrow, and like the like this pit in your stomach because you keep on trying to find something here it's not delivering and God is giving you that pit in your stomach because he wants you to believe that lesser joy and carry on to him and so some of you like you're experiencing really hard things in your life right now 
And there's a variety of reasons why that could be happening. But potentially one of them is that God is giving you this as a blessing so you will stop settling. Because in the end, if you settle for the lesser joy, that's what you have. So one of the greatest blessings he could give you is to make you dissatisfied so you keep climbing up the mountain. And finally, you get up to the top of that mountain there and you behold his presence. And he's blessing you more in his presence. And you bless him back. And then he blesses you back and sends you back down the mountain. And as you go, you return back to your home quite someone different. That's your blessing. So blessing him means you're acknowledging what he already is. When he blesses you, it's you acknowledging that he's changing you into who you're made to be. And so then you come back to your homes and you bless your homes. You go back, in, back into your workplace, and you bless your workplace. You go out into the world, and you're a blessing to the world because he has blessed you first. Let me end with this. Psalm 134 is a psalm about Christ because he is the greater Zion. Zion means the presence of God, the joy that comes from the presence of God. Christ is God Emmanuel. He is your joy. Everything else falls short of him. And you know what? You're his joy. Because he is the one who has come down from heaven. He's climbed down that mountain to come to your home and he's knocked on the door. And you didn't answer and so he knocked it in. And he walked in and he grabbed you. And he said, come on, stop settling. You wouldn't go, so he threw you over his shoulder, and he carried you out, and he set you down on the earth. And he said, look in the distance at the greater mountain. And you saw it, and you began to hope for a joy. And he walked with you, because he's come, he's God with you, and he's faced every trial with you, and he's fought for you all the way through it. And then on this journey, you reach a mountain, though it's not Mount Zion, it's another mountain, it's Mount Calvary. And there on this mountain, he walks up and he's crucified in your place. He took all your sins upon him right there and placed them upon him. And and we are told in the Bible that it was the joy that was set before him, not because he enjoyed the suffering, but because he enjoyed how you would be blessed how you would be changed, how you would become what you're made to become, how you would become what you aren't yet. So he endured it for you. And then he rose, and you see him rise, and you said, this must be true. He's risen from the grave, but not only that, he's brought life out of death. He's brought joy out of sorrow. He must be who he says he is, but you can't even stop there. Now you take everything around you, And you see it as a pathway. You see it as the way to him. And you see the beauty and the things that you see. And you say, this is not it. It's not the end. I'm not going to settle. And so that means the love within your marriages. It's not meant to end there. It's meant to be a love that points you to a greater love. And it means when you go through sorrows, the sorrow is not the end. You're just going through it beyond the cross to the resurrection, and then into the new heavens and the new earth where everything you have always longed for comes true 
and you have now entered into joy. That's true for you. So, worship him. Let's pray. God, all of this to convince us to do the thing we're made to do, worship you. It was worth it. It's worth us spending our entire lives until finally we realize you are the object of the one chasing. You are our joy. You are our king. God, we praise you that you have made a way for us to find out who we really are. You've made us this way. So convince us, God, each day over and over and over again that you are our joy. You are the one we seek. So we might do what we're made to do. God, we praise you. We bless you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.